One of the most exciting days for me is when my wife told me that we were pregnant with our very first child in uh, the fall of 2002. Now, I remember the many conversations that Kyle and I began to have about, oh my goodness, we're going to be parents. I've never even babysat a child. How am I going to be a parent? And we had many conversations about what it would be like to be parents, and we had conversations of, gosh, what is this little boy or what is this little girl? What are they going to be in life? And we started wrestling with really hard questions of, what if this kid doesn't like Chipotle or Ohio State? Like, how are we going to navigate having a child that is rebellious against these things? We were really, really excited uh, about finding out that we were pregnant with our first child. We didn't find out whether it was going to be uh, a boy or girl. We waited until the day, uh, that delivery day. But we were just so excited about uh, July 14th, 2003. Now, whether you're a parent or not, I, I think you can relate at some level with, or imagine at least, the excitement as probably well as the nerves that come with being a parent for the very, very first time. Now, imagine for a moment if you were told, though, hey, the child that is to be born to you, if it's a girl, she can live. But if it's a boy, he has to die. Imagine if that was the news that you heard as an expectant mom or an expectant dad. If it's a girl, she can live, but if the child that you give birth to is a boy, that boy must die. I imagine any excitement you have has now been filled with just a sense of horror, of not really knowing, gosh, am I going to have a boy or am I going to have a girl? What do I do with this? Well, to be honest, I'm not sure any one of us could really imagine such an evil such as this, but... This was the reality facing the people of God while they were in Egypt. This is one of those stories in Scripture that I don't want us to miss at a, what I'll just call a micro level, meaning we can often read stories in the Bible and think about the impact that it would have had on those people at a macro level. For example, last week I introduced you to the nation of Israel that was now in bondage or enslaved to the most powerful nation on the planet at that time, being Egypt. And the thing that we learned about their enslavement last week was that it was a brutal and merciless enslavement. And I think we can read and hear stories such as that, and we can sympathize when you're talking about millions and millions of people being enslaved and how they must have been impacted and just devastated. But I think it's hard for us to connect with that story on a really personal or relational level. It's just hard to grasp, hard to comprehend millions and millions and millions of people in brutal enslavement. But today we're going to continue the story of Israel in Egypt under Pharaoh's just brutal, merciless, evil reign. And what happened is when enslavement wasn't doing for Pharaoh what he wanted it to do, well, he turned from enslavement to mass slaughter. And this is the story that we pick up in Exodus chapter 1. Just read the opening story, opening verses. Verse 15, 
Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shipra and Puah. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. Now, before we spend some time walking through this story, just think for a moment how horrific and terrifying this would be for any and every expectant parent, dreading the delivery day, knowing that if it was a boy, a death sentence was awaiting. By the way, this was before ultrasounds. So they would not know if it was a boy or girl literally until the day the child came. Now imagine the jubilation you'd feel if it was a girl. Imagine the relief that you would have that your child, because she's a girl, would be able to live. But then imagine the sadness that you would feel of, but our next door neighbors, our close personal friends who are also pregnant, just gave birth to a boy. And imagine the sadness that you would feel. You're excited that you have a girl, but you're so sad that they have a boy. And you're also asking a really hard question. Well, God, why them? Why not us? Why is that happening to them? But why didn't that happen to us? See, I think what was happening for the people of God was not only unfathomable for us to even think about and comprehend, but I'm guessing it was just as unfathomable for them as well. Now, last Sunday, if you were here, the question that I asked, the question that we really wrestled with was a question of, if God allows suffering, allows suffering in the lives of His loved ones, well, how does He use suffering to grow our worship and our witness of who He is? That was the question we looked at last week. And as I shared last week, I am very thankful that God can and does redeem any evil or any suffering in our lives not just for our good and our growth and our benefit and our maturing, but I'm thankful that God can use and redeem evil and suffering in our lives to bless, to encourage, to help, to benefit other people. But in light of these two verses that I've already read this morning, the question that I want to ask and wrestle with today is not how does God use or redeem evil and suffering in our lives. I want to ask a very different question, and it's this. How do we follow God in a world where we are either tempted or instructed to do that which is evil? How do we walk with God? How do we follow God in a world where we're either tempted to participate in that which is evil or where we're actually maybe instructed to do that which is evil? Now, I guess I want to be clear. I'm not suggesting that everything in the world is evil. I think there are so many things in our world that are just beautiful, absolutely beautiful. But I don't think I would have to convince anyone here that evil exists in our world. And because of that, there's been much brokenness and shattered lives and pain as a result of that. I could read you all sorts of horrific statistics that happen on a day-to-day basis of things like crime and hatred and violence and greed and enslavement that is still happening in our world today. But I won't because I don't think anyone needs to be convinced that evil exists in our world. What I think what we need help with is a compelling answer to this question of, but how do I follow God? How do I walk with God in a world where evil is present? 
how do I navigate life with God when I'm either tempted to participate or actually, as in this case today, directly commanded to do something that I know is absolutely evil. In this story, we're introduced to two heroic and what I will ultimately call courageous women. Shipra, her name means beautiful one, and Pua means a splendid one. And what I love about this story in particular is that Moses, the author of Hebrew, does not want us to forget these women ever. He does not want us to forget how God used these two specific women, courageous women, Shipra and Pua, in God's redemptive story. I love that he names them. And I love how Moses conveniently leaves out the name of the most powerful man on the planet at the time, being Pharaoh. I'll give him a title, because that's what his title is, Pharaoh, but his name does not need to be remembered. But these two women, their names should never, ever be forgotten, because by way of their example, they answer the question for us of how do we navigate and live where we're tempted to or commanded to do that which is evil. So again, the story says Shipra and Pua, Hebrew midwives, are instructed by the most powerful man leading the most powerful nation to murder all the male children. And the reason that he's commanding them to murder the male children is he was afraid that in time, all of these male children would become men and would rise up to form an army that would conquer Pharaoh and would crush his nation. And so I need to murder all of the male children to prevent that from ever happening. Now, the text doesn't say this, but it's safe to assume that there's more than two Hebrew midwives caring for the women of Egypt and caring for the Hebrew women. So I, I think what's happening here in the story is he's taken two of the leaders of the Hebrew midwife community and he's instructing them, hey, what I'm telling you, you are to pass this down to every midwife that if it is a male child, the male child is to die. He gives them an order of infanticide. You two tell all the other midwives this is what is to happen. Now, these women would be wise enough to know that if they disobey Pharaoh, civil disobedience, no one would do that because the cost and consequence to disobeying a direct order from Pharaoh would mean a sudden death, a certain death, not only for them, but most likely for their family as well. So let's just stop for a second and ask, what would you do? If this was you, and this was the scenario situation that you were put in, what would you honestly do? And before you think to yourself that you would be heroic and courageous and say, well, I would never do that. I could never take innocent life, especially in fantasy. I could never kill a child. I would never do that. I think all of us want to say, absolutely, that's what our response would be. But I just want us to just pause for a moment and recognize, if you do that, though, you and your family most likely die. It's not as easy as we might think it to be. Again, Shipra and Pua answer our question for us by way of their example. Exodus 1, 17, this is what they did. But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live too. Because they feared 
God, they refuse to obey. So how do we follow God in a world where we're either tempted to or commanded to do that which is evil? Here's the answer. Choose the fear of God over the fear of man. Choose the fear of God over the fear of man. Shipra and Pua had a decision to make. Will we fear God in this situation or will we fear what Pharaoh will do to us? And as I mentioned, civil disobedience equaled death. What's really convicting to me about the response initially is uh, the sixth commandment had not been given yet, meaning there was no commandment specifically staying, thou shall not murder. That hadn't been written yet, but they knew instinctively to take an innocent life that bared the image of God would be wrong. And as we read in the text, it makes crystal clear that these women feared God. Now, there's a few different ways that we can understand how does one fear God, but in this story, in this text, what does it mean that they feared God? You can look at Proverbs uh, chapter 8, verse 13 for an answer to this question because it says, all who fear God, fear the Lord, will hate evil. So to be one who fears God is to be one who hates that which God hates. All right, so let's just think logically. If to fear God is to hate that which God hates, then we need to figure out what is it that God actually hates. And I know for some, you might be thinking, gosh, I didn't know that God would hate anything. He's a God of love. The Bible makes clear that there are specific things that are detestable that God hates. And again, we can look to Proverbs for an answer. It says in Proverbs 6, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to Him. Haughty eyes. I know that's not familiar language to us, but haughty eyes means a person that is filled with pride and the way that they see themselves and the world around them. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. So clearly, a lot could be said about these seven things, but my point is simply this. To fear God is to hate that which God hates, and God hates evil. God hates sin, and clearly hates, as Proverbs says, hands that shed innocent blood. Shipra, Pua, hated evil. They hated the thought of shedding innocent blood. Why? Because they feared God more than they feared man. As I've been thinking about their response, the conviction that I've been having this past week is, Michael, in looking at all that you do, how much of it is done just out of sheer fear of man, of what someone might say of you or think of you or what might happen to you? How much of what I don't do is based on fear of man? fear of what someone will say or think or someone will do. I mean, just think for a moment, how much of what you do on a day-to-day -day basis is driven by a fear of man, a fear of what someone will say, a fear of what someone might do, a fear of just maybe how someone will think about you in light of what you're doing. Now, I hope that none of us are ever confronted with the reality of infanticide of murdering a child. But I think we're confronted every day with 
this choice. Will I fear God or fear man today? As I go through this day, will I fear God or fear man today? Another way to think about this is, will I participate in things that I know are not pleasing to God in order to please everyone around me? Or will I compromise in ways that I know conflict with the character of God just so that a few people around me might celebrate me? The hard reality is that if Shipra and Pua would have feared man being Pharaoh rather than fearing God and participated in Pharaoh's evil plan, they would have been no different than Pharaoh. And here's what I mean. I want to unpack that. I want you to think for a moment about your reflection. And I don't mean your reflection that was looking you back in the mirror today as you were getting dressed before you came here. I want you to think about your reflection of we all are reflecting someone in the lives that we are living. We're reflecting someone or something. See, those who fear God reflect the heart of God. Those who fear God reflect what God loves, reflect His heart, whereas those who fear man reflect the heart of man. So for Shipra and Pua, they reflected the heart of God because they valued and cared deeply about life. But if they chose to fear man, then they would have reflected Pharaoh's evil heart in what they did. So this is a hard question, but who are you reflecting today? Are you reflecting in the choices that you're making, one who fears God, meaning you value deeply, care deeply about the heart of God, and that is reflected in your choices, or are you reflecting the culture in which we all live? Imagine the devastating impact these two women and all the other midwives would have had had they chose the fear of man rather than the fear of God. Imagine the generations and the families that would have been impacted, ultimately devastated if they chose the fear of man rather than the fear of God. See, every time we choose to make a choice to fear man rather than God, the impact is never just personal. It's never just impacting you. It's felt by those around you. Pornography is an evil. It is a horrific thing. But the mentality is, it's just impacting me. This is just my choice. No one else knows I'm doing it. No one else knows I'm seeing it. It is not just impacting you. It is impacting how you view women, how you view men. If you're a married person and involved, engaged in pornography, it is changing how you view your wife, changing how you view your husband. Pride well, it's just something I battle with. It's just something that I struggle with. It's not really hurting anyone else. It's just my personal battle with pride. No, pride is impacting, influencing. I would even go as far as to say crushing those that are around you. Lying. We think, well, it's just a white lie. It's just a half truth. It's just maybe an exaggeration of a story. It's not really impacting anyone. But lying is causing division in friendships, families, relationships. See, our choice to fear man and participate in that which we know is wrong, is evil, is sin, is not just a personal thing that's impacting us, it's impacting those that are around us. See, the beauty of Shipra and Pua's decision to fear God 
is not only that it blessed a generation of families because of their decision not to obey what Pharaoh said, but their decision to fear God also led them to say, God, I'm going to bless these women in light of the choice, the decision that they made. This is God's response to Shipra and Pua's decision to fear God. Start in verse 18. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives. Why have you done this? He demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to live? And the Hebrew women, this was their response. The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. The midwives replied, they are more vigorous and have their baby so quickly that we cannot get there in time. So God was good to the midwives, and the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. See, I'm inspired by these two women. Number one, because of their courageous decision that they made to fear God rather than to fear man. But if I'm being honest, I love these women because they got some spunk. When they're standing before the most powerful man, knowing that most likely they're about to die, why have you disobeyed me? The response is, Egyptian women, they're kind of wusses. They need a bunch of help. But Hebrew women, when they give birth, they are strong. They can do this before we even get there. Hebrew women are so much stronger than your Egyptian women. So this in many ways is a little bit slap in the face to the most powerful person on the planet in Pharaoh. But the principle that I just don't want us to miss in the response to Pharaoh and their decision to fear God is this, he who honors God will be honored. He who makes the decision to honor God in the choices that we make, God will honor that person. For Shipra and Pua, God decided to honor them in such a beautiful way. Verse 21, and because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. See, the honor of God in one's life, it's going to look different in each person's life for sure. But for these women, God honored them with families of their own. And I want us to know this is not just an Exodus 1 type of promise. This is a biblical promise from God to all of us. For Samuel 2, I will honor those who honor me. When we make a decision to honor God in fearing God rather than man, God will honor us in that decision. Now, this is not a promise of health and wealth. This is not a promise of, hey, if you honor God, your life will be easy, comfortable, convenient, and perfect. You'll have everything that you ever wanted. You'll drive the car. You'll get the house. You'll have the bank accounts. That is not even close to what I am suggesting. Remember that these two women and all the other midwives and the entire nation of Israel was still enslaved, a brutal and merciless enslavement. But what is happening here is God honored them with a reminder of his grace, his kindness, his provision of their families, and his continued just protection. Now, I would love to tell you that this story ends really well, that these women changed the heart of Pharaoh by demonstrating to him the heart of God. I would love to tell you that this man fell on his knees in repentance and said, I'm blown away by your courage. That's not what happened. The end of chapter 1, this is the final verse. 
Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. Pharaoh's response was, if you're not going to listen to what I told you to do, I'm going to instruct my entire nation to kill them all, to kill every single little boy. I can't fathom not only giving that command, but hearing that command given. I want you to kill them all. I think it would be easy for us to ask and wrestle with the question again, where is God in the midst of such an evil command? Next week, we're going to continue with this story, and we're going to wrestle with that question once again. But I want to finish by asking us a question that I think is actually much harder for you, much harder for me to wrestle with. And the question is this, where are all the courageous Christians? It's easy to depersonalize it and be like, where is God in the midst of so much evil in the world that we live in? That is a good question. It's a fair question to ask. But the question that we often don't ask ourselves, where are the courageous men and women who follow God that are making daily decisions say, I will fear God and not fear man? Where are the men and women who are making the decision and taking the stand to say, I will honor God? Where are the Shipras and the Puas of today? Where are the men and women that will say, I will navigate walking with God in an evil, evil world where I'm either tempted to participate in that which I know is not pleasing to God, or if I'm ever commanded to do that which is not pleasing to God, will you and I be the ones that stand to say, no, I will fear God. I will fear God and I will choose to honor God.